Hey guys, what's up? It is week 193, and uh, first I guess I'll mention that I am guesting on a podcast, a podcast Under the Stairs. We're doing a whole series. We're going to tackle the Forgotten Gialli box sets by Vinegar Syndrome. We started with The Police Are Blundering in the Dark. It should be up January 18th. I'll put a link below, so uh, you'll be seeing this afterwards. I'm recording it, what, the 16th? So, uh, yeah, so check that out. It's with Duncan McLeish. He is a podcasting machine, great guy from Scotland. Uh, he does the summer series which i was a adjudicator on so yeah there'll be six episodes of that and hopefully we'll do some more stuff in the future together also the top 10 of the 22 shots of moods and horror dropped um yeah we had me of course uh moods jp and jeremy the three uh, regular co-hosts and then also carly was on the show so yeah we also do a listeners list so if you want to check that out also there'll be an extended list i'll be hitting the patreon then eventually it'll be available to everyone and i think next week i will probably drop my top 25 and my top 10 favorite non-horror movies or horror adjacent movies and just do kind of a year ender talk about whatever the hell it'll be kind of brief like how it always is but I guess we're going to hop into the reviews. And the first uh, thing we're going to do is finish up this William Griffey box set. Um, yeah, first and foremost, this this box set is amazing. I've been very impressed with it. Um, I love when Arrow does these kind of box sets or any of the big companies do, like Severn did Al Adamson. I haven't had a chance to dive into that because it gets me, you know, uh, kind of familiar with a lot of these kind of regional directors. And I feel like regional directors kind of have their own style and their own stock company. Uh, bigger directors do too. But uh, the regional directors, they interest me. Um, now, I actually, he's a Florida guy, William Griffey. I mentioned this before um, last week. But uh, right when you think Florida independent filmmaking, you also think of Herschel Gordon Lewis. And uh, I did that, I did all the movies in that set. But I actually prefer William Griffey. Um, so let's just say that the first one that I'll be covering the last four I did, uh, the first four last week, but this one I'll start off with the naked zoo. And this is a super strange movie. And this one, um, out of the four, I'm probably going to put it as my least favorite of the four I'm covering this time, but I did, uh, find some interesting stuff about it. This kind of follows a story of like this playboy. Um, he's basically a drug dealer, juggalo, and he kind of sleeps with older women and provides them drugs. And he has a bunch of kind of crazy friends that he hangs out with. Um, it's just a very strange film, but, uh, yeah. Anyways, he kind of gets involved with this rich woman and her uh, crippled husband, and it gets a little complicated. But the movie, it, it kind of is, it's an exploitation movie through and through. Like, it really doesn't fit in any other category except exploitation. Um, and there's some ugly stuff in here. Kind of surprisingly ugly, to be brutally honest. Um, there's a scene where he brings back an older woman, and he gets her all drunk, and he kind of is making fun of her. And they incorporate his girlfriend, who's an African-American woman, and this is in like the late 60s, so there's lots of racism. So he starts to play along with his girlfriend that she's actually the maid. And that whole scene, I was just like, wow, this is kind of ballsy um, and pretty crazy, to be honest. But it does end up dark, and there is one of the great, great um, in the film it ends up pretty dark, um, but there's a great scene at the end here involving police officers that have heavy on the edge of the seat and uh, I really like the ending the last act and the last moments are, are really cool uh, the lead in here I think he was a TV guy and he's pretty good it also stars uh, who is it it's one of these like classy actresses um, that like you know that they definitely I know William Griffey said they spent a lot of their budget on it and he since he paid in cash um, basically he got her because they all asked for a lot more he's like I can't afford that and then he said cash money right on the spot and um, they, they got her yeah Rita Hayworth it was just one of those names that I could 
not register. It's been a long week, okay? But uh, yeah, I, I would recommend checking out the Naked Zoo. Um, although it's the least kind of right up my alley because the other ones are so up my alley. I did enjoy this one though, but that's the Naked Zoo. Okay, the next one in this set, also on this disc, is Mako, The Jaws of Death. Um, yeah, this one kind of was... Um, William Griffey was trying to get this made actually before Jaws, the script and everything. But, uh, you know, after after Jaws came out, he got the funding right away. What what you think, right? Obviously. Um, this stars Richard Jekyll and also has John Chandler in it um, and Ob Jobs in this film and some other kind of familiar faces. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Basically, this is kind of a, a Stanley with snakes uh, or basically Willard, um, which he made. I haven't had a chance to watch Stanley, but he describes it himself as Stanley with snakes and a lot of the, you know, experts on the documentary do as well and and Stanley was in fact kind of a, a take on Willard um, so yeah this one is, is very similar so Richard Jekyll who's one of the greatest character actors of all time just a very very likable guy and I find it really funny that he is the only guy I can think of off the top of my head um, actually no that's not true um, besides Christopher George um, that worked with William Girdler and William Griffey so both of those guys did so there's definitely a connection there but uh, yeah so Richard Jekyll's and stuff like the Dirty Dozen uh, big movies like The Devil's Brigade, but then he's in some, you know, exploitation films like Mr. No Legs and, of course, Day of the Animals, Grizzly, um, The Dark. Um, so, yeah, the dude is in tons and tons of movies, and he's always he's in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Just a lot of stuff. Always a great actor. Um, so, anyways, yeah. This, this plot is... I, I really enjoyed this one. It's, it's kind of a revenge animals attacks movie. It opens up now, warning, there is some violence towards sharks. Lots of sharks are killed in the movie. I know it is the um, early 70s at the time, so that's kind of expected in a lot of movies, and it's uh, if, if you're going to have a problem watching that, then I would steer clear of Mako Jaws of Death. In fact, I would steer clear of a lot of William Griffey's movies, so, um, you know, the animal violence is there at times, so I, especially Stanley, the clips they showed in Stanley, that's going to be a little rough, but um, yeah, so anyways, uh, the plot is pretty insane. The opening uh, kind of took me by surprise. I'll, I'll just kind of explain the opening a little bit um so there's these guys hunting uh fishing for shark and um this guy is under the water and he cuts cuts the cable they have on the shark and you're like what the hell's going on here and he boards and then something insane happens and it set up the whole kind of scene right there and i was like this is awesome so richard jekyll has a connection with these sharks uh, he kind of a psychic bond and when you find out how it happened you're like oh, that's insane but oh well i'm already into the movie so Basically, he has a bond and a connection with the sharks. He swims with them, and it really looks like Richard Jekyll is down there swimming with the sharks. Uh, I think he actually is. Um, so there's a lot of dangerous kind of stuff. I think a lot of the sharks had their teeth removed and stuff. But anyways, uh, yeah, he, he's one with the sharks, and these people do him and his sharks completely wrong, awful people, and he decides to get some revenge. There's this kind of sleazy Florida businessman who's like this big, heavy guy who always goes for a night swim, and you know exactly where this stuff is going. Yeah, and his two goons actually are... Um, uh, John Chandler from uh, Major Dundee, some Peckinpah movies, of course, um, and a couple of Griffey movies from Hook Generation and uh, Oddjob. So I, I love seeing that. Um, great goons, great bad guys, and he, of course, uses the sharks to take them out. There's also kind of a scientific angle with this asshole, and, and you're actually cheering Jekyll on. In fact, I've never sided with sharks as much as I did in this movie, really. You really feel for the sharks, to be honest. Um, yeah, so anyways, really liked this one. Thought it was really solid. There's some really cool things, some dangerous things. Unfortunately, um, you know, when you watch old westerns or old films with animals in them, a lot of them are hurt, and that's a, t a time, you know, piece of their, their products of their time. 
And at the same time, they the willing to work with the animals like they did back then is something that a lot of people don't. And it adds a sense of realism. Unfortunately, like I said, the animals sometimes are hurt or killed. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of like the real animals in the movies. It just adds an element and danger to it and just kind of insane. And all these, of course, are on location in, in Florida. So yeah, Mako, The Jaws of Death, there's a nice little thing on there about shark exploitation movies, which is really cool and talks about, you know, how the funding for this one got made and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, check it out. Uh, Mako, The Jaws of death uh, one of Griffey's best movies I would say okay the next uh, William Griffey movie is Whiskey Mountain and this is kind of his deliverance and I heard Brian Sauer talking about this on his uh, Just the Disc podcast or Pure Cinema podcast I can't remember which he also has a YouTube channel check it out it's pretty great but uh, Whiskey Mountain is kind of William Griffey's you know exploitation movie it's his deliverance is his they said race with the devil which I do see as well Brian Sauer said that and I do see with the dirt bikes and the RV and stuff like that so Christopher George and his wife uh, played by Linda Day George I believe it's her she's always in all his movies so uh, yeah, Linda Day George are going up with another couple. The other couple are not as familiar to me. And they are going to find um, Linda Day George's uh, great-grandfather's hidden stash of rifles, these uh, Confederate rifles that are worth about a couple grand apiece. Um, so they drive up to this place. Supposedly, they're by Whiskey Mountain. Right when they get there, the locals are like, get the hell out of here. It's your typical, you know, uh, go in there and everybody's, you know, eye screwing you, looking at you, and just kind of messing with your women and all sorts of just backwoods shenanigans as I'll put it, because that's kind of what they do. So anyways, they, they don't really listen to the locals. John Chandler tries to warn them, and they go up to look for it themselves. Of course, they're going to have a run-in with, uh, you know, some uh, hillbillies, and there's going to be some violence. There's going to be lots of violence. And there's one point in this movie where a character dies, and I said, right there, you know that no one is safe. Um the bad guys are pretty fun, uh, especially John Chandler. He's really good. But uh, I, I know Brian Sauer mentioned this, but I, I think anybody who brings this movie up has got to mention the old kind of guy. I think he's actually one of the fishermen in Mako, the Jaws of Death, in the very beginning of that one. And he's just doing that typical, you know, how you would have a stereotypical prospector character. He's like, I've been searching for gold for all these years. But then he'll be laughing. <laughs> That's all he does. He just laughs and he says he just weird things and um, just unpleasant weirdo with this giant beard absolutely ridiculous um but yeah it, it gets to the point where it's like action at the end we're like this doesn't this is this would not unfold like this but you don't really care because you are watching a movie there's a really awesome uh stunt in here that really was set up and like focused on the the, the time and everything with the dirt bike and that's what i kind of like about the older films because um, when they do stunts it's a real stunt and, you know, like, I, I can never get invested in a car chase with too much CGI. Um, and I know I do like movies with CGI car chases, but that's not why I like them. These ones actually have the car chases or the stunts within them. They always make a big deal out of it, and you know it's just a really cool thing that they did, and you're excited to watch it. So, uh, yeah, that, that this, this one's really entertaining, really good. Um, I like the music. Charlie Daniels' band actually makes one of the songs on here for the movie, which is damn cool and just fits perfectly. The This print's kind of beat up in comparison. I think this is probably the, the most beat up looking one out of everything. It just doesn't look great. It looks like it has some damage. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. It's Whiskey Mountain. Enjoyable. Um, Christopher George is good in it, as always. And the acting's pretty solid all the way around. And oh, I, I should mention this. There is a rape scene in this film. 
And the way they handled this rape scene, I've never seen it um, done the way they did it. And I think it is an effective and disturbing way without being overly graphic, but somehow it, it works to um, an even greater extent. But that's Whiskey Mountain. Uh, check it out. I enjoyed it. Good movie. Okay, the last on here, I'll be brief, is the They Came From the Swamp documentary filmed in 2016. It's included on here. Um, it's a feature-length movie. I think it's fairly long, to be honest. Um, of course, it has interviews with William Griffey in there. It has experts and also some of the people that... Uh, were alive when they filmed them. Now they're now they passed. Um, they have Herschel Gordon Lewis who seems very respectful of William Griffey and kind of says that he's the reason he got into making movies. David Friedman, who's also passed. John Chandler, who I believe has passed. So a lot of people who have died here, and uh, they mention a lot of the stories of getting things made and uh, the animal activists kind of coming down and PETA and stuff, and kind of rightfully so to be honest. Um, but yeah, they mention a lot of these kind of stories and crazy things that happened. Um, and they even talk about a lot of the movies that aren't in the set, including Stanley and Impulse. And Impulse is a movie that I'd really like to check out. It kind of looks like it would be a nice double feature with Intruder starring William Shatner, because William Shatner's in both of these, and it looks like two different roles that Shatner kind of played, because everybody thinks Shatner, they think, Star Trek, eh, eh, really kind of one-dimensional or lousy acting, and, and a lot of the stuff I've seen Shatner in, he's a, he's a lot better than people give him credit for, and he can play a prick, and it seems like he's playing that kind of role in Impulse, and he definitely plays that kind of asshole role in Intruder, which is actually a really good movie. So, um, yeah, I definitely piqued my interest in checking that out and Stanley and other things. Uh, but yeah, this guy's an interesting director and, um, I like that they bring up some of the cast he kept using and stuff like that. Um, and one of them was a light heavyweight boxer who pops up in the Hook Generation, and he also pops up in Naked Zoo and some of his other movies. And that guy seems like an interesting character, too, and he tells this great story. There's lots of anecdotes and stuff, and they do film by film. I thought it was pretty enjoyable, so I, I would check this box set out. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I learned something, and it's also great always to uh, kind of dive into a regional filmmaker or a filmmaker that makes low budget films and has their own flavor and learn something. So I did learn it, something here and I enjoyed it. And I have never actually seen a William Griffey movie before this, although I had bought a couple in the past and just never had a chance to watch them. So when Arrow put something out like this, I was pretty excited. So if I had to rank the films, um, I'll be looking on the back here. Oh, geez. Um, let's go from bottom to best. I would say the worst is Death Curse of, Death Curse of Tartu. And then I would probably go The Psychedelic Priest is next. Um, then um, Sting, of Zoo, Sting of Death and Naked Zoo are about the same. And then the top three for me, I would say the best is Hook Generation and Mako Jaws of Death are about a tie. And Whiskey Mountain, all three of those I really enjoyed. I put those all around the same. They Came from the Swamp is also interesting. But I would say the top three, Hook Generation, Mako Jaws of Death, Whiskey Mountain. And Sting of Death, Naked Zoo are both pretty solid. Um, Psychedelic Priest is interesting. And Death Curse of Tartu is not really for me. But it was made for a B, B pitcher to be with um, Sting of Death, double feature so it is what it is a uh, great set uh, at the end of the day the qualities range because uh, what they have and prints and everything like that but yeah check it out if you can grab this set for a good price i highly recommend getting it Okay, this next one here is super bizarre, and this is a movie I didn't even know existed, and this is The Other Side of Madness, and I think it has an alternate name, which I may be uh, familiar with slightly, um, maybe The Helter Skelter Murders or something like that, which, uh, yeah, so this is a super strange movie. This is filmed, like, kind of right after the Manson Family Murders, and it's black and white, and it's super bizarre, and it's, like, pseudo-documentary, pseudo-recreation, and I don't even know how to go about this movie, to be honest. Like, I, I just don't know what to say um but yeah it starts off you kind of see like um kind of 
things happen to happen at the time leading up to it. You see the spawn ranch and like, you, you know, like I, I'm not even hundred percent sure if like this is like real footage or anything, but I'm pretty sure it's recreations cause it's, it's shot so well, but basically there's just lots of footage of like half naked people walking around and swimming and everything like that. But the biggest chunk of the film is actually the, uh, Bianca Tate murders and they go into pretty much detail there and they show lots of that stuff. And it's, it's kind of rather unpleasant. I was actually shocked at how good this movie looked how they how well preserved it was and how you know genuinely well shot and and stuff like that how well made it was overall in comparison and i think this got a really harsh rating at the time because there's is there's graphic nudity of course graphic murder and the idea that it came out right right after that is probably uh, on the side of you know trashiness to a lot of people but uh yeah and, and a lot of the stuff reminded me of of course the manson family uh by van beber but i feel like that movie took from the crime scene photos and everything like that and i feel like this one's probably following the the case and the crime scene photos as well as they can as too so like i don't remember every little detail in that case or how people died or exactly but a lot of it seemed like it was genuine genuine like to what actually happened so it is rather disturbing uh yeah like i said it, it's really well preserved and and genuinely kind of unpleasant and i don't really know what to say besides that um and like i said half of the movie is just kind of showing these characters or just like half naked people wandering around so it's a bizarre watch and it's a bizarre film and there is some new features on here. There's a new documentary, The Other Side of Manson, interview with producer Wade Williams, and other exclusive material. There's a CD in here, and uh, yeah, there's a booklet as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting movie. And I, if I remember correctly, it's so hard. Sometimes when you get old, you forget little tiny details. I remember the score being uh, actually fairly memorable, too. But The Other Side of Madness, this is by uh, it's Film Chest, isn't it? That's kind of a company. Yeah, uh, Film Detective. Sorry about that. Film Chest is a completely different company, but Film Detective. Um, um, really nice set for a really weird movie. Yeah, and if you're into Manson stuff or interested in cr true crime, I, I would suggest checking this one out because uh, it, it's made at such a weird time too, in a weird way. I have been chosen. I am God. I am Jesus. I am Satan. We are all part of each other. We are a family. We are all God and the devil. The actual terrifying reenactment of the mass murders that shocked the world. Do you know who I am? I died on the cross for nothing. Now it's the pig's turn to go up on the cross. Leave the family and you will cease to exist. You are dead. Charlie is me. I am Charlie. Women are only storehouses for love. Get into that store. A compulsion to kill. An incredible nightmare of murder. See what actually happened that horrible night. You are there. What are you going to do with us? You're all going to die. Please, let me have my baby. Kill him. Every brutal murder documented from court records and coroner away. reports. Just don't A nightmare of terror. He's getting away. Help me. Unbelievably true. Mass murders without reason, without mercy, beyond comprehension. Not recommended for those easily shocked.
Okay, this next one is from Severn Films, and this is Family Portraits Trilogy of America by Douglas Buck. And this movie always had a reputation for being kind of one of those very disturbing films, kind of an extreme film, but crosses that pattern of art and extremity. Um, I feel like um, this is just a kind of a, a pretty brutal movie. Um, made uh, this is one that has three shorts on there all kind of focusing on you know the uh, family dynamic and just twisted family dynamics to be honest and the first one is cutting moments is probably the one that most people bring up um it's very gory and brutal and then there like i said there's three of them on here um like uh the first one is actually like probably it sucks you in because it's so insane and then the next one they bring in the next care the same actor from the first one so i was a little thrown off I was like is this a continuation of his family lineage or something along those lines but uh it's definitely like connected with um you know heredit like in learned behavior learned violence passed down from father to son and then the final one is kind of a really uh quiet and awkward serial killer film that i thought was really tremendous but this movie is just like painfully awkward and i mean that as a compliment like characters would be sitting next to each other in silence and just such unpleasantness um it's shot on film and a lot of low budget films i i really like when i feel like it's 16 millimeters got to be because it's got that that really great quality to it like something like um Tennessee Gothic which is recent but I just really like uh the kind of low budget film film that, movies that are uh made on film but they're lower budget just have a really great aesthetic when they're professionally made and this one has that aesthetic that I really like but um the the moments in here like are, are truly disturbing they tackle like the first one tackles pedophilia and I don't want to get too much into it but um just rejection and um just all sorts of stuff but this one is really effective it has some really gnarly stuff in here and self-mutilation that's just is kind of like oh man, I don't want to watch any more of this. Um, like the second one, I think is probably my least favorite of the three, but it's still effective as well. And it has that learned behavior trait. And there's just these long moments of this abusive father who is absolutely awful it's not polite to stare and just stuff sticks in your head but the final story really connected me in like um and it intrigues you in right away and it, it doesn't hurt that larry fessendent has larry fessendent has a role in here but like you feel the coldness you actually feel the coldness in all of them even if it's you know in the last one it's like a physical thing location it's in the environment is cold but everything just has a coldness here people just uh have these like dark disturbing behaviors and everything so this one has um this young girl is moving back to her town and she's in a wheelchair she has no hands obviously something brutal has happened to her um and nobody really wants to say exactly what happened but they just kind of bring it up that we don't know how it happened or what happened and we keep cutting back to this um this older couple and there's just something wrong here something horribly wrong and uh the the older man had just retired so he's home more and it's just it's just an unpleasant thing the only movie i could compare this to which i feel like um is directly inspired by is morris county which on earth films put out i feel like morris county is directly inspired by family portraits but man this is just a really good movie this is a really solid um you know i love extreme movies when they're done right and this is whether they're taken seriously or just done i have something to say and this is that there's extreme stuff in it there's disturbing stuff but there's also like truth to it there's truth to it um there's great um acting even though it's just really kind of naturalistic acting um this is a tremendous movie and this is the first time i watch it and i regret not seeing it and there's not that many kind of um anthologies told in this kind of way 
or there's, I feel like there's not really, there's no wraparound, but there is connective tissue between all of them, and I feel like they belong. There's just not many extreme anthologies, to be honest. There's a lot of features on here, so I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, commentary with director, commentary with uh, Matlin McDowell. Um, I think he's a, a film, um, I'm not exactly sure if that's an actress who participates in the film, but I think it's actually possibly an expert. After all, an early short film, and the Cutting Moments interviews, circa 1998, so they have the old interviews. Um, they also have a full-length podcast, uh, a couple of them. Um, one's a, a podcast, it's um, That's Dark, and they talk about the movie, and then they have an interview with the director on that podcast as well. And there's a deleted scene from uh, Prolong, that's the last story behind the scenes, and still galleries and a trailer. Um, I did enjoy watching kind of the um, bonus, the old special features from uh, Cutting Moments because we have interviews with Tom Savini, who partially worked on this movie and all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah, just a great movie. Um, you got to check it out. I'm glad it's on Blu-ray because I've had the DVD sitting here for a long time and never watched it and this kind of kicked me to watch it there's lots of stuff like that that i'm just like excited to watch but i never have time so when it gets a re-release i can make time make sure i see it make sure i cover it and stuff like that but um yeah this is a great movie um all, all three shorts are really excellent i would say my favorite is surprisingly the last and then we go last uh, third first second all good though all, all good to great uh stories in here so check it out yeah good stuff Oh, I should mention that, like I said, I really like how it looks. I think they did a good job cleaning it up, and I love low-budget film shot on film. It just, they look excellent, and I think they did a great job with this disc. Okay, the next one here is from Artsploitation Films, and this is Happy Times. And uh, yeah, this I think is an, is an Israeli-American uh, co-production, but the film is in uh, Israeli and um, Israeli, I should say, Israeli, Israeli and English. Uh, yeah, so... I, I was looking at the reviews on Letterboxd when I went to rate this because I was like, I'm giving this a pretty good rating. And uh, I saw the average rating was 2.6 and people giving it half and one star saying the acting's horrible, the plot is horrible. And I'm just like, this this movie here got to people that it didn't 
that it shouldn't have. Like you ever see a movie that like everybody hates and you check it out because you're used to watching weird or different films. You're like, I love that. It's just one of these movies. I feel like went to a, a, a some sort of screening or like festival and a bunch of people that don't get this kind of movie saw it and just were hating on it. I don't see any of that. I thought the acting was solid. I thought the plot was good and it is a very dark comedy. So maybe they didn't think that the actors started playing more comedic in certain parts bothered them, but I, I don't know. I, I, I thought this was really good. So the setup is this, we have this, uh, Jewish family kind of getting together for a dinner and there's these uh, all they're, they're all connected and they all obviously have you know some things going on the main the, the guy Joshi is a, a mobster kind of a, a mobster with a nice house and that's his wife and they're throwing the party he has one of his kind of a couple he has a goon that shows up he has another guy that works for him kind of like uh, setting up houses as an architect and stuff like that his wife and then we also have geez we have a uh, um a uh, friend, I can't think if it's a friend of the wife's and her husband, who's uh, kind of an intellectual guy, kind of keeps to himself, doesn't want to go to this kind of place. And then we have uh, the wife's cousin and her and his um, girlfriend. Um, they kind of come are more from the liberal side, and he's an actor, and he's just kind of an uh, asshole. He's a, he's a self-entitled prick. So right off the bat, you know, there's going to be problems. They set all these things up with, you know, I love how they set it up too, because everything is set up and everything pays off. He starts to mouth off, and things get out of hand, of course. And before you know it, there's a bunch of bodies piling up. All the kind of dirty laundries being aired out. All all these underlining things that people have are coming out on the surface, and they're going completely ballistic and nuts. Um, I thought that the characters were really solid, even though they are assholes. I enjoyed watching most of them. Uh, the, the mobster guy I really liked. <laughs> he was really realistic, and I enjoyed him. Um, I also thought that the, uh, the, the more intellectual guy was really good and they set up his dynamic with his wife excellent um, and there's this this bottle of water that has a bunch of drugs in it that is set up and it's it's definitely you know shit's gonna hit the fan um, it is predictable in a couple things here and there but I don't find that as a hit because I think a lot of people will forget that that thing is gonna come up next it's uh, pretty bloody I wouldn't say it's overly gratuitous and gore or anything like that but it is violent there is language they jump back and forth like they would between um, Israeli and English because you know they're in LA and all that kind of stuff but there's some really great moments I enjoyed it it's kind of a you know party gone wrong everybody at each other's throats people are gonna die kind of deal um these dinner party movies I feel like there's been a slew of them lately but uh yeah this was a really excellent movie I thought uh it was a good pickup from exploitation films and there's not that many uh horror oriented or horror adjacent um Jewish horror films you know what I mean um and it was nice to see kind of like a rich Jewish family uh in here and and it's very Jewish you know like it feels they talk about you know religion and all that kind of stuff and um there's a rabbi uh involved so i like this one i would recommend checking it out it's called happy times good stuff uh good pickup from exploitation films the last couple they put out have been really good this and beast uh clawing at straws were both i think beast is, is quite excellent this is really good at the same time so yeah check it out for sure happy times I owe you. At owe me anything. Yalla, let's eat! Yalla! 
my god, I love this song. Turn it up. Okay, now it's time. It's been a long time, but we're going to do the weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. Okay, the weekly western this week is um, John Ford's Rio Grande um, with John Wayne, of course, and uh, Maureen O'Hara. O'Hara. She's been in a couple more movies with John Wayne. Uh, This is a John Ford film, of course, and this is uh, the third part of the Calvary trilogy, which I'm actually not familiar with. Um, Ford Apache is, and the other ones I think are a little bit more famous. Um, You know, I'm mostly familiar with John Ford's bigger movies like The Searchers and stuff like that, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which are both like absolute classics. And of course, I've seen uh, a handful of John Wayne movies who hasn't seen John 
John Wayne films. And I like John Wayne. I think he's got a great screen presence. And of course, as these actors get older, they kind of fall more into their stereotypical roles, um, which I don't think is always a bad thing. But um, to see John Wayne younger in this, this is 1950. So it's a little before, you know, the true grit, Rooster Cogburn, John Wayne, that a lot of people would know. Um, I'm sure lots of older listeners, of course, knew John Wayne right when he was on the scene. I'm obviously not that old. Well, not yet. I'm, I'm getting there. But uh, yeah, so uh, I'm not super familiar with the Calvary films either. Like, yeah, I've seen stuff like Soldier Blue, but that's more of a revisionist Western anyways. So it's definitely not going to show the, Cal- the, you know, all that kind of stuff in a, in a, in a uh, kind light. So, uh, yeah, this, this is a pretty interesting one. I love John Wayne's facial hair in this movie. Very rarely do you see John Wayne with facial hair. The shootist is the only one that comes to mind off the top of my head, but he's got the, you know, the little mustache and a little thing here. And it's just so weird to see him with that. I thought it was a great look for him in the movie. So basically the plot is he is, I think, um, is he a Colonel or a major? I think he's a Colonel, um, in the military and the union army. I think this is after the civil war, of course, and the native Americans are the biggest enemy at the time. This is definitely after civil war because we have people from texas and the union army and all that kind of stuff so um anyways what happens is he is uh, separated from his wife and kid for 15 years he's out in the frontier around the rio grande um kind of basically at war with these Native Americans, he crossing over and attacking uh, them and all that kind of stuff. So basically his son is kicked out of military school and he signs up for the military without his mom's permission, running away from home. And he gets uh, relocated or, or sent to uh, his father's, you know, command. Uh, this kind of complicates things when his wife shows up and wants to take the son back, but he doesn't want his son to go back. And he's he's really tough as nails at first, like you're gonna. Let, but you can tell that he secretly um, missed. He he really regrets kind of not being a father, and it's all about his commitment to you know the the what he said he was gonna do and the Union Army and all that kind of stuff. He has this mass commitment to it and everything like that. So, um. You know, and there's this backstory with involved with uh, the wife where he had to do some unspeakable things. And I think this is based on some truth in here. Um, I think so. Don't quote me on that. But uh, he had to do some unspeakable things. And he always puts his service over anything else, including his family. And he tells his son that this is going to be a hard life about dedication and suffering and all that stuff. But it, it is a John Ford movie. So you do have a lot of these breaks in music and stuff, which at first for people can be really kind of... Um, like kind of jarring, I would say, but um, I'm used to it watching stuff like The Searchers, they brought outbreak and stuff. And like The Searchers and other John Ford, John Wayne will not partake in the singing. Um, you'll see some of the other actors in here, like Harry Carey Jr., who is a John Ford stock character, and Ben Johnson from the Peckinpah movies. But first, he was in the Ford films uh, as, you know, the best horseman actor of all time, right? So uh, basically, you'll see them sing along and partake in it. Um, the character who plays his son, too, a Claude Jarman, I think it is. So, like, I always find that kind of really um unique about john wayne in the movies and i I think i mentioned this in the searchers commentary it feels like it like john wayne is kind of a loner he's always kind of an outsider although he's in command he just has like a a sadness in here and john wayne does some really good acting with his eyes like i know people like oh you're not very i've always felt like he he was good he's good with his eyes he doesn't say everything in dialogue he moves his eyes you can see the sadness the brow that kind of stuff and i think he's really effective in this movie and there's moments of him kind of wandering while the music plays looking sad on a great landscape and stuff and you know it's shot beautifully um 
black and white cinematography, you know, uh, frontier stuff. I, I like that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyways, I thought this one was pretty good. There's some comedy beats of course too. So it's like a, a Western has comedy and stuff. They're not always bleak and music and then it has action. So it's like a big kind of uh, mixture of all these things. And it's a love story it has everything going for it in here. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. There's some really funny characters in here. Um, oh geez, Chill Wills is in here um, as the doc, and the guy who plays Quin Quinnigan or the the um, sergeant major, he's great in it. Very funny. Uh, there's this great bit where um, John Wayne's son gets in a fight with uh, one of the older guys, and they're like, "Why are you guys fighting?" Quinlan jumps in or whatever his name is, Quinn Cannon, and he says, "Now what's this fight about?" He's got this thick Irish accent. He's like, "He called you a chowdered head Irishman." He's like, "You said that?" And he's like, "Yes, I sir, did I? I did." He's like, "And you meant it?" He's like, "Yes, sir, I did." And then like five minutes later, after he discussed that they're gonna uh, fight later that night, he's like, "And you said that?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like. And you meant it. <laughs> it's just, it's really funny. But um, I, I know a lot of people have a problem with old Westerns with the horses and stuff. And they have like, you know, that whole Playboy article really <laughs> people hate John, John Wayne and stuff. But hey, it's 1950. It's a John Ford Western. It looks great. And I know, I think his other two from this trilogy are much more popular. John Ford didn't want to do this movie. He uh, did it to get his own movie, The Quiet Man with Wayne and O'Hara. So yeah. I think it's pretty good, and I, I am a novice when it comes to John Ford films. Like I said, I've only seen a few, but I thought they were all great, and watching this one, I thought it was really good, and I know a lot of people probably have a, a bigger uh, comparison point. They're like, well, I've seen all his movies, and this is one of his lesser. I don't know. I didn't see it that way. I enjoyed it. There's a bunch of features on here being a signature edition. I'll run down. There's an audio commentary on here. There's a bigger than life with the actor Claude Jarman Jr., who plays John Wayne's son in the film. There's a strength and courage, basically Patrick Wayne, who's John Wayne's son, talking about his father um and mentioned he, he gets in a little bit about him when he was dying and everything like that uh telling real historians basically um this this is an actor who plays uh uh native americans in films and he kind of breaks down uh you know uh native americans in cinema and westerns which is also a nice interesting point then we have songs of the rio grande which is actually a really good um thing to include on here because music is such an important part of westerns and especially older westerns and i liked th that whole breakdown and everything because there is a band in here called the sons of the pioneers way before my time but he talks about that and then there's a visual essay as well which i thought was fairly interesting in an essay so i thought this was a nice release of a very good movie that i had not seen um yeah um anyways i, I liked this one and i thought that it was a different role for john wayne although it is similar but it's a little different i i kind of enjoyed seeing him this young and, and a little different role from what i've seen him do later on in like true grit and all that kind of stuff in the shooter so yeah um rio grande good stuff deserves got nothing to do with it <laughs> When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick by Ricky Riley. And uh, she picked, she had two picks this month. And this one is um, Fist in the Pocket. Um, and this is a movie that I actually wasn't familiar with. It's a Criterion movie. It's an Italian film. It's like 1965 or 68. So I was like, what? what is this one? And um, they also gave me um, A Citizen Above Suspicion, which is a great um, kind of precursor. I, I don't even want to say it's a precursor to the Polizia Tessis because it's really not. It's just its own unique kind of deal about police 
Corruption and a great film. Uh, great film. But uh, this one is also a really good movie. This is a strange film. Uh, basically, what we have here is a family of, I think there's four kids and a mother. And the mother is blind. The father had died. And there's one brother who seems to be more in charge. He seems to know what's going on. And then there's three other siblings, one of which who's almost uh, completely mentally handicapped. Uh, another one who seems to have these kind of violent outbursts and seizures and stuff like that. And then uh, one is a woman who... It, I, I never really could figure out the daughter's problem if she had a problem or it was I, I just really could never figure it out but uh, she seems a little strange as well they all seem very strange but the son gets it in his head that he should kill his rest of his siblings besides the older brother to free him but it becomes more complicated than that and uh, he, he, he does all these little things to learn it um, and I couldn't stand this character he's such a uh, and I know he has mental illness but he's such an annoying character and he's just so uh, like entitled and just unpleasant and just warped that he actually drove me crazy but there's these like all these weird family dynamics in here and stuff. This is a really great movie. Again, black and white shot really well. And I don't know how to go into depth, a uh, detail about this without spoiling anything, but there's some truly disturbing moments in here. And there's some just desserts that I actually really enjoyed seeing in here. But uh, yeah, just a, a great location too. The house is set upon this big giant mountain and it seems like they're kind of in an isolated area from the town and everything and their family seems to maybe, maybe they're inbred, I don't know because the whole townsfolk uh, thinks they're all weird at the same time. But uh, yeah, it was strange that the oldest brother in the film was actually in, the only movie I know him from right off the top of my head was Alien Contamination. He was kind of the, the, the police detective in that movie um, and anybody knows my history of Alien Contamination on 22 Shots. They think that I hate the thing and I don't but hey it's alien contamination uh but anyways uh, or just contamination he's in this um really good film very strong very suspenseful in times and uh just kept me captivated because i like these kind of psychological films or these cycle you know analysts of characters but yeah i watched it on the criterion channel there is a disc i believe a blu-ray and a dvd but fist in the pocket good film for sure uh interesting too so yeah great pick Okay, this uh, Survival 5, Homecoming, Joe Dante, Masters of Horror. So, yeah, okay. This one I decided to do is a pretty good time here. It involves elections and the war and all that kind of stuff and corruption. So, why not? So, here we go. Um, this one I thought was equal parts great and equal parts horrible. If that makes any sense. Like, Joe Dante has a really good tonal tone in his movies that somehow makes it comical and also really work at the same time and have stakes. But this one is goofy at times and then heartfelt. It's just a really weird tone. So, basically what happens here is John Tenney is like a political analyst for uh, the Republican Party for the president. And um, he, on a talk show, gets kind of drugged into this conversation. And he ends up making this wish that he wishes that every soldier that died could come back and vote or show or not. Uh, yeah. And vote or something like that or, or come back and and, and basically hear uh, tell everybody how they don't regret dying for their country and all this kind of horse shit. Um, and also he's on the show with kind of like this political crackpot lady who always says off the wall stuff and gets attention which is so so much true today there's so many of these people that just get on there and just say crazy shit or off the wall shit or just completely disagree with that whatever anybody says just to stand out there's so much of that going on uh but so what happens is uh basically he starts a relationship with her at the same time as all the dead soldiers from the war this is 2005 remember start to come back and uh they want to vote 
<laughs> that's that's the plot. So basically what happens is they decide to go against uh, and mess with the election results and everything like that. And uh, yeah, there's some jokes in here. Uh, Richard uh, Picardo's in here as a Joe Dante staple. It's not really overly gory, but they do some fun things with the zombies. And there's a really great moment where one of the soldiers, everybody's kind of like shitting on the dead soldiers. Nobody cares. Definitely a Vietnam allegory and, and reflecting at the time it was. Um, so there's like this zombie walking down the street and this, this older couple invite this guy in and and they give him some hot tea and stuff and i felt like that part was really kind of heartfelt and surprising in this kind of weird mismatch goofy kind of thing there's some funny moments that i did enjoy like i said there's parts that i really like and parts that i don't like it's it's definitely a mixed bag for me but at, at, at the end of the day i think it's just all right um i think that the uh, act it's just a weirdly kind of uh tonal movie but i like the idea i think it's a cool thing to do with zombies it's right on the nose i mean there's no uh it, it's right in your face all that kind of uh, stuff right there, social commentary. Um, I like Joe Dante's movies for the most part. I've never really disliked anything he's done, but uh, I thought this one was just okay. Uh, I, I would check it out if you're interested, and it's kind of crazy that it, it reflects current times. So yeah, um, that is Homecoming, uh, 2005, Joe Dante. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for Blind Spot. I know it's a weird angle, but with the new room adjustments, I don't think I can get it any other way. So we're in front of the VHS. Um, this one was your pick. Yep. Right. This is Queen of Blood, which we picked because it looked a lot like Planet of the Vampires. It was a 60s sci-fi vampire movie, and it felt really weird doing uh, Planet of the Vampires without doing Queen of Blood. So, yeah, this is directed by Curtis Harrington, who's mostly known for doing kind of like thrillers. Uh, like, uh, I think he did a lot of those kind of like uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane kind of cash-ins, but... They weren't cash-ins. They weren't made cheap. He also did um, The Killing Kind and Night Tide. So he has kind of a nice resume. So I was excited to watch this, especially considering the fact that it had Dennis Hopper in a small role and starred John Saxton. So I was very excited. Early Dennis Hopper. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause Dennis Hopper. Before Easy Rider Dennis Hopper. So he's super young in it. And John Saxton, who's always awesome. So, yeah. Um, you want to take over the plot or you want me to do the plot on this one? Um, well... The plot is like there really isn't any plot. It It's a rescue mission, isn't it? There's a rescue mission that turns into a rescue mission that actually turns into a rescue mission. Is that what and then a vampire story. Yeah. It's okay. um I it this is a rather slow moving movie. Um The matte painting in the very opening was really cool though. A lot of the effects in the movie are really cool. The spaceships look cool. Um sort like like the technology we're using is really neat. Um the problem is is that it's really just a talky stuff happens movie until like the last 20 minutes. Then it's like, oh, okay, here's what the movie's about. <laughs> and uh, unlike Planet of the Vampires that starts you off running and just, I don't know, is creepy? This yeah. isn't scary at all. No, this, this isn't a very scary movie. Um, um, I, I mean, I wasn't scared at all. Planet of the Vampires is the better version of this movie and it's scarier. I think it was a couple years after, maybe a year after. I don't know. I, and I don't know the cost on this. John Saxton's solid, as always. Mm -hmm. Dennis Hopper is quirky and weird, even for a young guy. I just don't really have that much to say on this. It was very short, though. I think it's only like 70 minutes. Yeah, it was like an hour 18 or something yeah. like that. It, I mean, it wasn't a very long movie, but it, like I said, there just isn't a whole lot going on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like... You, I'm under the impression that you know there's going to be you know a vampire or an alien, um, and that really doesn't pop up until 
realistically the last 20 minutes of the movie yeah and there's um the whole like rescue mission they do literally they uh they go to rescue these creatures or uh, mm-hmm. whatever it's it's martians or they're on mars and they think they're alien life form they want to get there so they can kind of check it out so they go there they need to rescue them but they end up having the second ship goes to rescue them but then their ship's on uh, one of the moons of mars and they're stranded so they have to try to make their way to that i don't know like it's <laughs> yeah it, the, the way it works out cuz like what i what i thought was going to happen you know without giving away the movie too much is i thought that the first rescue mission would like become monsters like the monsters planet of the vampires planet of the they vampires. come the second ship and then yeah. they're all contaminated yeah um and instead it was <laughs> no no they're going to crash we're going to crash and somebody else over there is going to crash and a lot of crashing a lot of crashing on. you know my my energy for the movie crash yeah like about <laughs> 20 minutes left and i was like half asleep right and then unfortunately 20 minutes left is kind of where the movie starts picking up a little bit but even then it's like a slow and i, I feel like a lot of people would be absolutely in love with like the vampire woman in this oh uh, yeah i but, think i don't know it didn't do much for me either well i mean the costume looked cool except for like the part where she's supposed to be naked and it's just like a clearly like green like, leotard or something right um no like, like a lot of the stuff in the movie looked cool it, it was just executed so poorly yeah i'll go first creature features john stanley um queen of blood 1966 three out of five writer director curtis harrington to make up for a small budget utilizes color to good advantage and emphasizes character rather than effects and telling of an expedition sent into space in 1990 to a dying planet that's right folks 1990 astronauts john saxton judy meredith and dennis hopper find green colored woman florence marley a sole survivor of a race and one and one by one fall victim to her vampirism Harrington throws a surprise into the climax. Basil Rathbone, forgot he was in this, in one of his final roles, Forrest J. Ackerman guest stars, rocket footage was lifted from Soviet sci-fi movie, a.k.a. the Green Woman, Prehistoric Planet, Flight to a Far Planet, Planet of the Vampires, Planet of Blood, and Planet of Terror. So, uh, yeah, I forgot Basil Rathbone was in this. He's in a bunch of classic yeah. horror films, um, some of the Universal, and uh, then some of the, uh, I want to say, Poe, not Poe, but um, the uh, Corman movies with, um, I think he was paired up with, um, one time, Peter Lorre and Vincent Price. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm <coughs> curious to check when Planet of the Vampires was actually made, because... 1965. Planet it's actually right underneath mine. Okay, good. And so it's um, older. Yeah. And vastly superior, if you ask me. And only 10 minutes longer. Okay. okay. So mine's in here as um, Planet of Blood in... Yeah, so Planet Terror of the Vampires was Tate. first. That's a correction. Baba is always first, right? So that's Terra on Tate. Right. Terra on Tate, Planet of Blood, two and a half out of four. I think he does. 1966, 78 minutes. Originally released as Queen of Blood, this is a cheap but watchable horror sci-fi hybrid about an expedition to Mars that encounters a shipwrecked lady alien with green skin, Marley, who turns out to be an extraterrestrial vampire. Harrington blends his original material well with some special effects footage derived from some Russian space opus, and the cast is pretty interesting for this sort of zero-budgeted affair, but the pacing is awfully sluggish with the real action not beginning until the last 20 minutes or so, which I would also agree with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both. I think that uh, John Stanley was a little bit more forgiving than mm. uh, we were. I'm honestly not trying to be negative, but I would give it a 5 out of 10. I'd give it like a 2 out of 5. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know what it was. I feel like Curtis Harrington's a good director, but I don't feel like this is a strong suit. I mean, the colors are nice, but it may, he didn't write the script probably. Maybe he did. I don't know. And the money was probably minuscule, to be honest. Right. But it's not unwatchable. I'm glad I watched it, but um, I, I it's not highly recommended or anything. Like, watch Planet of the Vampires instead, I would suggest, or Alien or any of the classic sci-fi movies that we all love. You know, there isn't, like, a hook in this movie. It just... It's very... One, it's very hard to hear certain things. Um, The one guy, the basil guy... Basil Rathbone. Yeah, he has, like, an echoing thing. Um, yeah, like, every time he talks, he's, like, giving the students instruction. Yeah. It's weird, too. It's like, the astronauts are all part of an academy, and uh, I don't know. Yeah. They it, got their jumpsuits and everything. It's just weak. It's It's style over substance, but not even that great of a style, and the substance is severely lacking... I don't love it, but I don't. I don't hate it. It's right down the middle for me. Right. Uh, yeah. So, five out of ten. Uh, next week is Peeping Tom, which is my pick. It's supposed to be a classic. The director was blackballed because of the movie. Okay. Yeah. Made the same year as Psycho. I don't like Peeping Tom. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a classic. I'm pretty sure it's going to be great. I am kind of you know embarrassed. I hadn't seen it yet, but yeah. I like I said, this one's a little short, but hey, it is what it is. I'm good on this. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm good. Okay, bear with me. There's a lot of comments and uh, questions and all that kind of stuff. So, questions. Nick Mua, a few weeks back you discussed Dress to Kill and made me think, wow, that trope about shrinks being more insane than their patients goes way, way back. What do you think that is? I don't know because I think a lot of people actually have had bad experiences with doctors and a lot of people think that, you know, psychoanalyzing people and all that kind of stuff is bullshit. So also, and what's more scary than somebody trying to tell you if you're okay, but they're actually manipulating you, um, you know, or, or, you know, telling you the wrong things. So I don't know. It's just also the first time they probably did it a couple of times. No one expects the doctor, but now everybody expects the doctor. So occasionally I enjoy artsy nonlinear movies with an obscure plot, but there are limits. How do you feel about this? When does a film become incomprehensible, unwatchable, overly artsy clusterfuck for you? Ooh, there's sometimes when I'll be like completely in and a movie will lose me or just be com- get completely inept. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's jump the shark moments in those kind of films. Uh, I am trying to think of one that just was too much for me. Uh, geez, stuff I like a lot is Cemetery Man. I love Cemetery Man, but there's lots of stuff going on too with it. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head that just completely, uh, well, I was like, that's enough. This is just too stupid, like smelling their own farts kind of stuff. It does happen though. Next time it does happen, I will refer to this comment if zombies existed would you want to make a movie or documentary with them a la shadow of the vampire knowing you're endangering your crew i mean if it was the case of zombies existed zombies aren't like vampires where they stay hidden and you know only come out to feed zombies are mindless they spread their you know sickness so everybody would know zombies are actually there so i wouldn't do that and i would never make a movie where i endangered my crew because most of the time I'm making with friends and I wouldn't want to kill my friends to make a movie. Um, maybe myself, but not my friends. Uh, so question of the, oh, so okay. The question of the week, uh, was basically when was the last time your video store was, what was the last video store that closed in your area? Or when was it? Uh, Skip, to answer this week's question, I asked a friend who owned a local video rental chain. He told me that about 12 years ago, he closed the last one. 
I was in a porous area where adoption of cable channels was slower for financial reasons. I should add that a friend of my father also ran a small chain of video stores that were still going about six years ago. It was an interesting business model. He didn't require credit cards and let people have the videos with a uh, modest deposit. Surprisingly, people were very good about returning them since it was the only place they could get videos. I should add that the guy was a gangster, so all the cash business was a convenient vehicle for money laundering, I assume. Again, these stores were in Philadelphia's poorest neighborhoods. Isimisio, my mom and I used to frequent this video store and um, and mom and pop video rental every Friday after I got home from school. I think I was in the sixth grade and we'd take out and watch movies. This place is now a laundromat. If the mom and pop place places exist, we usually pick those over Blockbuster Hollywood video. Here in New York, there's hardly anything of that nature anymore. I would say if they still exist, there might be some in Brooklyn. Scarecrow video in, Scarecrow video in Seattle is another amazing rental shop that still stands to this day. Every time I go home to visit, I stop by that place. So many memories and good times, and they have all the best categories names. Uh, and as she mentions, the movie Id looks like fun time. Shutter recently dropped a 2020 movie called Hunted. That looks pretty dope. Sucks because my top 10 was already made. Your video room is amazing like Disney World for movie collectors. You should start charging an entry fee for people to come in and look. Haha, ha, great video. Thank you. I kid. I own Sting of Death on DVD. It was part of the Something Weird compilation. The last video store in my area to close was some time around 2004-2005. Wild Will from Chesterfield. I used to go to my fave mom and pop video store, uh, Max Video, here in Richmond, Virginia for years. He had the biggest adult section in the state. I was the only one to dig and blow the dust off of obscure horror and exploitation betas and VHS. The old Asian owner, Miss Mary, promised to sell me her VHSs when she closed down. I've moved away to uh, to Minot, North Dakota, for nine months. When I came back, they were closed. She had the Black Devil doll from Hell and Tales of the Quad Dead Zone. So many big boxes, clamshells, and rare beta tapes. Some of the best memories of my lifetime cherished my time at Max Video from 1980s till 2004. Ah, sucks. Nick Mua, uh, the death of the local video store was uh, there anything more sad? In my neighborhood, we had two. The oldest was part of a European chain called Videoland. They went belly up back in 2005. The second and favorite, Corner Vids, because this family owned and operated shop, was located on the street corner, a bit cheesy, I know. Closed in 2007 due to personal reasons, it was made acquiring movies a pain in the ass. Ken Coakley, I worked in a video store right next to my house. It was there that I met my girlfriend, who is now my best friend. We met in 98, left in 99, store closed in 2000. We went to get some clearance vids, and the clerk made a pass at my girlfriend. The extinction of video stores are a real shame. You never know what you'll get. You've got till till it's gone. Ja Punk, question of the week. We have one least. Uh, we have one at uh, least one left. The video room in Oakland, California. I saw some unsanctioned street vendors on Market uh, Street in uh, San Francisco on or San Fran on Monday, along with the large DVD collection, there was Brian De Palma on VHS waiting for home viewing. Blow up and dress to kill. Does that count? I don't think so. Stephen Emery, 2015. James D. Koch, so this, this, uh, oh damn, this is a sad post. I moved to a new area. Nobody has stores here, sadly. There's a couple of independents in Helski, which is close. Every time I go there, I always go to at least one and buy something. Kay Elizabeth, mine is still open. Family, family video, but just announced earlier this week, they are closing soon. Mike Mitchell, um, the whole franchise is closing. Mine went down two weeks ago. Nathan Rumler, I had one close uh, summer of 2019, a town over. Paradise Video had been operation for almost 40 years. The other one, a town over the opposite direction, Videomation, uh, closed last summer. Had been around 20, 30 years. Now all the family videos are gone too. Mark Humphrey, I am in England, and it was 2013, a blockbuster, two independent shops, uh, Casablanca Video and Pinewood Video, closed in uh, early aughts, sadly. There were the ones I used to rent all the obscure horror and sci-fi films from. 
I was also able to buy X Rental Pre certificate videos from them. Jason Casper, 2008, here give or take. Jason Higgins, 10 years ago. Mike Clark, 2013. Daryl Marsh, about a, two and a half years ago. Chris Neal, a very long time ago. In fact, I thought I found a new one about seven years ago and ended up being an adult video store. Honestly, I'm not sure that's even gone as well. I'm not even sure that's if that's gone yet uh jp and Drica, 2012 in my hometown of ohio sadly have noticed more and more places are phasing out dvds completely or cutting down on amount joe meredith there's still one open a couple towns away i went in two years ago it was raining there was a hole in the wall they still have videotapes and clear case stored behind the counter pretty much just gathering dust and mold i bought tapes from them that didn't have mold for 25 cents each i think i thought about doing a documentary on them Art Enager, there's a small one still open in Pittsburgh. Art Enager, uh, he says it's Jack's Discount Video in Millvale. Peter England, can't remember, I think it was 2008. Mike Mitchell, two weeks ago. Mark Zielinski, I don't know how much about... How I don't know much about the town I currently live in, but my hometown had a mom and top shop that still remains open to this day, mainly because they have movies you can find, can't find anywhere in such a large selection. Also beloved by the town. Uh, Travis Tiro, the last family video in Springfield, is in the process of closing down now. Tyler Doyle, Blockbuster is still open in my town, but all the ha others have gone. Uh, Daniel Floop, uh, what is it, Dan, uh, Donald Plepp. Sorry. Want to say 2004 family-owned Action Video Depot. Started in 1983. Had two owners over the years. Outlasted Blockbuster Hollywood Video and three other mom-and-pop rental stores in a five-mile area around it. Thomas Steele. Each of the last three places I've lived, I've seen the nearest family video close down. Andre Scott. The ones near me are closing February 28th. Uh, Allison Mailer. We still have one here in Atlanta, Videodrome, but I think the last of the chains closed 2011-12. Peter McCain, 2010, I think. Justin Patrick. I still have a mom-and-pop video store open. Gary uh, Uderek. Uh, 2018, I think it was 48 hour video was the store name. I remember getting used Blu-rays for like a dollar or less. Sherman Hirsch. So I don't know if this guy's joking or not, but he says he's gone from mild moping to profound brooding. If you're joking, cool. If you're not, go fuck yourself. I'm just asking a question. Quit being a baby. Um, Corey Earns. Last week, I am devastated. And he post action news. End of an air. Um, all the best video closing in Chico. Uh, Inicio Hernandez, the last video store in my area, sold all their inventory and closed its doors in 2010. Uh, Rail Brown, 2011. Uh, Rory Vargas uh, Schutt, Family Video in Grand Rapids, just closed its doors three months ago. Bill Kate, wow, like 10 years ago, so sad while well, they're still an adult video store. Does that count? I don't think. Maybe. Tyler uh, Shoemaker, um, or Schumacher, uh, family video closing right now. Blockbuster closed in 2012. Hollywood Video 2004. Uh, T-Town 2005. Video Gallery 2007. Randall Stoddard. All the mom and pop stores dried up 2003-04, of which there were quite a few in my area. The best one, Video West, cost, closed about that time. Video One, a chain store, closed in 2006. Hollywood Video 2010. Blockbuster 2012, I want to say. Blockbuster was the last one to close. Um, Christian Luciani. Ten years ago. Get over it. And I know Christian. I know he's kidding. Uh... Yeah, but he says, uh, I'd say it's been eight years ago since the last one around me closed. John Soloway, down here in Hobart, Tasmania. It was 2018. It was it even made the news. Sad day. Matt Hudson, when did Family Video close? Was it last week? Kind of sad. Really, I understand going out and running a movie is inferior to actually just streaming something. This is probably nostalgia, but there was some time, something about going to a video store, picking some random movie based on the box art, and muscling through it, even if you thought it was shit. Um, it's too easy to stop watching a movie on Netflix. Kind of like uh, when I suddenly had every access to every NES game ever made through emulation. All of a sudden, I only gave them five minutes before I gave up. Double-edged sword, though. Don't know wasting my time with stuff I don't 
uh, stuff I don't instantly like, but I also don't give things the time they deserve before I give up on them. That is very true. Alex Powers, I want to say 2010. Nick Weaver, the last one in my area is still open. Adrian Roberts, it's happening now. Jason Fetters, the last blockbuster closed uh, January 17th. I'm uh, at January 27th, 2012 in Tampa. Sebastian Ares, uh, retro video Wilton Manners in 2016. Carol Drowning, there is still one left in my area, but will close by the end of the month. Haven't been to one in a while. All the good mom and pop ones closed over almost 15 years ago now. Stephen McGovery, 15 years ago. Jordan Bibby, uh, 2007. Matthew Bolin, we actually still have a mom and pop rental store. Smells like cat pee and patchouli, uh, but it's a vibe. Then we have some comments. Uh, Elk Vomit, I enjoy Stonehurst Asylum. Has a good, cool gothic hammer vibes to it. Awesome. Godzilla, glad you like Beast, Straw, Beast uh, Clawing at Straws. I absolutely loved it. Christopher Harris, hey, long time, no see. Awesome video and happy new year. Thank you. Uh, Ken Coakley, I would be the first to defend you from cancel culture. Not once have I heard you make an off-color comment or a political comment. People do get upset when someone makes a comment. I try to I try to be, I don't want to say PC because I, I make jokes and everything. I, I've always made jokes. My... My intent was never to hurt anyone's feelings, but I've also never been too worried about hurting someone's feelings at the same time when people are over. The, I just try to walk the line. You know, I won't hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't want to. I don't want to walk through life as a zombie either, not make any jokes. Um, so yeah, um, there's there's too many people that are worried about that are so easily offended. But then there's that equal part of people that are just out there trying to be dicks that like just want somebody to say something to them. Like I don't know, you know, they both get on my nerves. Um, Bad Brains Horror. Hey, Dave. Sting of Death and Jaws of Death. Uh, Sting of Death and Jaws of Death look great. Can't beat the Grindhouse trailer, trailers, especially voiceovers. Picked up verses from Arrow. Uh, then we have Toby Laroni, 07, 007, sorry, James Bond. You still are a review artist. Yes, a review artist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peek and Boo, which I haven't heard from a long time, so he posts something long, but I'm going to read it because I've not heard from Peek and Boo in forever. Hello, Mr. Parker Sensei-san. <laughs> in your review of... Um, Beast calling at straws you mentioned and quickly change your mind. The Korean Mafia is called uh, K uh, Kang Po means thug mafia gangster. The biggest cry mafia is Ho Nam Fraction, whom are fractured into three different sections. You mentioned Yakuza. That is the Japanese mafia. The word actually means double loser. The original Yakuza were lowlifes, and people saw them as such lowlifes, but themselves felt they were more than that, so their name became Yakuza, meaning in English double losers, because 8 plus 9 plus 3 equals 20, equals 0 points. 893 means no points. So the original meaning of Yakuza, Ya for Yatsu, 8, Ku for 9, and Za for San. 3 was no points, or useless. Later, this meaning changed to useless people. There's also another term, Japanese, from Ya, uh, 8, plus Ku, 9, plus Za, 3, referring to worst hand in gambling game. So it does make sense that they, either way, was were looking upon themselves as double losers, since they couldn't get anything right besides breaking the law. Another name, important, uh, Gokudo, are members of the transitional organized crime syndicates in Japan. The Japanese police and media, by re request of the police, call them uh, Borakudan, while the Yakuza call themselves uh, Nikodante... Guys, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Nikio means that they live under a code, punish the strong and sacrifice for the helpless. Uh, Dante means organization slash group. Non-Yakuza people used to describe them. Uh, Borakudan is a police term meaning violent group. Neither carries positive connotations. Hope you are being safe. And uh, he mentions question of the week, where I live now, I think the last movie rental store closed back in 2009 or 11. There was normally only a big block A-list Hollywood flicks anyways. Sorry for the long text. No problem. Glad you're doing all right. It's been a while. 
So question of the week, it's going to be a simple one because I didn't write one up. It's right off the top of my head. What movie or horror film or whatever are you most looking forward to in 2021? And it's probably going to be one that was supposed to be released last year, right? So uh, what what movie are you looking most forward to in 2021? Is it Antlers? Whatever. So uh, St. Maude for the United States guys, our North American people. Uh, so yeah, let's hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this. And the first one is from the Criterion Collection, and this is Kiraneko, which I hear a lot of great things about, um, Japanese ghost story. Uh, this one took forever. I ordered it back on Black Friday around that time, and it had a good sale on it. So uh, yeah, it finally came. It was back ordered forever. But uh, I guess I just waited, and it finally shipped. And then right here we have, uh, from a Screen Factory order, Angry Red Planet. I'm not seeing this. Sci-fi, horror, whatever. I dig these, so I picked it up. Screen Factory had a, a pretty sh cheap sale on a lot of the stuff I think might be going out of print. I'm not 100%. The Brain That Wouldn't Die, which is one of these titles I've never actually watched, but I've seen clips of it for years. And the title, it was just one of these movies that was always kind of just named, like, as, like, I don't know if it's Shellacky, but it's just a, a very known title that I, I doubt everybody's seen, but it's always known. Then we have The Vampire, which I actually don't know much about. Just great price on it. So I've always wanted, I put this in my cart probably tons and tons of times and never just pulled the trigger. So there we go, the vampire. Then we have The Man from Planet X. Um, again, another sci-fi film that, uh, this guy's cracking me up up here, whatever he's doing, uh, that I've not seen. But uh, yeah, I dig the sci-fi. been enjoying them more and more as I get older, but I've always liked them. And then we have The Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake, which I had not had a chance to watch either, but this title is another one that I've heard a couple times. But uh, yeah, I've, as I get older, I, I appreciate the older ones even more, but yeah, dig them. Then we have The Handmaid's Tale, which I've not seen. Robert Duvall is in this. There's a bunch of people in here. I'm not going to go through it. Don't know much about it, but I, I think this one was going out of print, so I jumped on it for the price. And then we have one DVD that was an ex-rental. Uh, looks beat the hell up, but it is wide awake. It was very cheap so uh yeah and it's exactly what i am not right now is wide awake i am dead tired as you can tell but uh yeah i guess we're gonna hop back to the video okay this is the next four drawings for the patreon here we go what do we have next we have claire um under wraps is what she wanted is that showing up there we go it's a movie I've actually never seen. It's a comedy mummy movie, if I'm not mistaken. Jason Willard has Seized, which is the Scott Ankins joint. That's right, I'm saying joint now. And then what else do we have? Number three, Skip Barber. He picked uh, Man in 70, which I am not familiar with either. And last, we have... For this next month, a Jeremy Manchester by the Sea, which he must have double put in because I've already covered that one. He wanted me to put it in twice, so I guess he threw his away. Then we have Tom Brooker, who picked the Amityville Horror because he knows I've never seen the original Amityville Horror, which is awful, right? I've seen Part 6 in the remake. I don't know why. It's a weird series. It's a blind spot that I didn't put on my blind spot. It was going to be this year, but now I get to watch it sooner. Amityville Horror. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's what we're doing next month. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Hey.